Hello, and welcome to Sound and Image Lab, the Dolby Institute podcast. This is a show about how artists use technology to tell their stories, and I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. So this is part two of our conversation with Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, two filmmakers who are writers and directors and who are collectively known as the Daniels, about their work on the spectacular new movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. If you missed part one, please make sure to go back and catch that conversation too, where we focused on the sound design and the mix of the film. In this episode, we're gonna be talking about the music and how they uh, used the music to really achieve tone and uh, provide the connective tissue that really glued the whole thing together. If you thought the sound design on Everything Everywhere All at Once was complex, wait till you hear our conversation about the music. So uh, we are joined in this conversation again by the directors, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheiner, uh, as well as the film's sound designer and effects editor, Andrew Twite, and the film's supervising sound editor and uh, re-recording mixer, Brent Kaiser. And in addition to the filmmakers, a bit later, the film's composer, Ryan Lott, who is the founding member of the band Sun Lux, joins us uh, from his uh, studio in Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, for a fun conversation. And he had an awful lot to tell us about how his band created the really extraordinary music in this film. So it's another big episode with a really fun conversation. So let's jump right in and hear from the guys about their approach to the music of everything, everywhere, all at once. So uh, I want to ask you about Sun Lux. So how did you end up working with them? How did you bring them into the project? How did you, you know, what was your direction to them for the music? How did the music work with you guys? Like, talk me through the All right, the, integration. the rest of the interview. Let's <laughs> <go>. <laughs> yeah. Too much to say about music. Uh, Dan found their music um, while we were writing because um, we, uh, especially Dan, just like is constantly playlisting while writing and finding the the feel of it, um, but we were specifically thinking about who's going to score it, and found their stuff. And uh, it's Ryan, Ian, and Rafiq. Ryan has uh, scored some stuff in the past, like a couple movies, and used to work in like commercial land, like doing like. So you guys original... have that have that in common as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he like he's pretty film savvy, but then Ian Rafiq are like multi-instrumentalist kind of like uh, like Rafiq is sort superheroes. of a, a guitar like maestro like the way he can make sounds come out of that thing is incredible and then the same could be said about Ian and as a drummer like Ian's the kind of drummer who's like on another level so much so that like he was telling us this story about how sometimes when he tour they tour uh, after a show like older gentlemen will come up to him and be like it's okay you'll get it next time um, yeah. but it's because he's doing shit that sounds like mistakes but he yeah. knows exactly Exactly what he's doing, and it's like he like so. Anyway, they're like, "Oh, that's not music." Exactly. And he's like, if you say so. <laughs> but I, I think what really drew me to them is the fact that you know we were talking about um, texture and yeah. um, the nostalgic textures that kind of again bring up context and memory, sense memory, and so with score, texture has always been so important to us. Um, you know, with Sorry Man, we had all vocals, and we had, right. we had, we want to see all the different kinds of textures you can get out of just the human body, and so for this film. Uh, it was such a relief to find a group of musicians who cared 
almost more about the the sonic quality of the instrumentation than even the you know the melodies themselves because that's that's always what I'm focusing on is like if I can get the textures right and then the melody simple it's going to be such a beautiful because like in the end you want those simple melodies to kind of just hit you at your emotional core but mm-hmm. these textures to keep it interesting and pull and help pull it away from you know you know Hallmark movies you know, mm-hmm. no, no no nothing wrong about Hallmark movies but they, they, you know I I love I love the simple um, beautiful melodies. There's some things wrong with yeah. that. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> you can say that. Yeah. But it's, I, not, it's, yeah. not, it's not the movie you would make. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> never say never. Uh, <laughs> One day. Um, but so, so we reached out to them and immediately, you know, one of the first things they said to us was like their process um, was really similar to how we approach storytelling, which is that they say usually when you build a house as an architect, you will build something structurally sound, something that makes sense, something that uh, follows a lot of the rules and feels safe and well-designed. And then you go inside and you populate it with furniture. That makes sense. What Sunlux does is they'll be walking down the street and then they'll just catch, like they'll see a chair just on the, on the side of the road. No one wants it. It's like really ugly. It has like five legs and it, you know, it's made of leather and, um, you know. Spikes. Spikes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the weirdest chair they've ever seen. Yeah, and they're like, we have to build a house that will fit this chair we found. Yeah. <laughs> what an interesting chair. I want to build a house that makes this chair make sense. Mm-hmm. And the, that's that's definitely our process. And so we immediately clicked and um, we just found a lot Who of these chairs. That metaphor first? Was it, I, I was it Ryan? It's probably Ryan. Yeah. He, but, has a, he has an enthusiastic <laughs> yeah. way with words. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> well, you know, a big part of our process was finding those chairs, those common grounds right. where like, this mm-hmm. is what matters and it's so weird, but it's going to be the thing that makes this so special. And then you guys can do the work of, of building the house around it because you guys are so skilled and, and mm-hmm. adept at that. And so but the, the yeah. less poetic Wikipedia page version of our collaboration was yeah. that we they came on before we started photography. They helped us write some songs that needed to be on camera, right. like the fake musical and stuff. Right. Uh, they gave us their entire library of all their personal projects as well as all their records, instrumental versions, and we cut the whole movie to their music. Uh, and then they were on during the whole edit working on the score. Um, and uh, so they were part of the project for over two years and created over two hours of like original music. Uh, and they would kind of take turns sometimes because they each have different skill sets and then other times like all three kind of like crack certain scenes but like they were such a huge part of just the process you know Um, straight up to the mix they came in and were part of the spotting session with us yeah they were giving us like because the great thing is and the hard thing for us is after we usually come in pitch a lock there's already been a movie written, there's been a movie shot, there's been a movie edited, and we have no concept of who's married to what and who's cousins and second cousins twice removed. And so we're able to see these uh, perspectives come in that somebody who's also very sonic-minded uh, was able to help kind of let us know, oh, this is where this would feel great. This is, And there was one great point where our first meeting, he's Ryan's literally giving us direction, and we're really confused. We're looking over at, at Shiner being like, do we listen? Do we listen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 he knows what he's talking about. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And they really, they genuinely cared. Like, mm-hmm. you oh, know, yeah. that may sound like a silly about thing About the say. movie, not just the music. Like, right. they were, they right. were right. totally right. humble when we'd be like, this scene has to have quiet music. You did a great job. Now we're going to turn it down a lot. Well, and, you know? right. and they were on stage with us. Mm-hmm. And literally, I mean, Ryan would come over to me like, you need to turn our stuff down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, 
I'm allowed to? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'd fight him back and be like, no, this is great. We really need this. And So know. did you have the music as you guys were doing sound design to kind of play off of? Or how did no. you? Not really, no. We okay. had what they had been given. Like temp music. Temp, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. temp right. music was music they had made, but no, we didn't have the score. The post-process yeah. in general is pretty untraditional. I mean, we like we were lucky enough to be working with Timing Lock from the get-go. Mm -hmm. Like the only updates we got were visual effects updates mm -hmm. and that didn't change the timing at all. Like they had planned it out so well. And quite frankly, I don't know if we would have gotten through it. Well, that we was a little bit of fight on my end being like, I'm not touching this still. It's picture line. <laughs> like I'm not. I, well, we did. I was well, because you had the luxury of you weren't, because of COVID, yeah, you had a time. We in a so, yeah. I will say that there were a couple of key scenes where we weren't ready to sound design and we didn't have the bandwidth to that we sent to you guys to be like, can yeah. you yes. guys just do a pass at this just to see what happens? Totally. Because right. I think yeah. because sound design is so important to uh, the rhythm and the rhythm is so important to the edit, we couldn't lock without the sound design in a lot of ways. And so uh, the scene that comes to mind that they did first that really, really helped kind of kickstart um, the way we cut it was the uh, the hallway sequence where mm, Jobu Tupaki yeah. comes out of the elevator yes. and like basically runs her way through all the uh, security guards. They did this fantastic, weird amalgamation of like cartoon sounds and and like horror sounds and-, like and Old-timey radio switching stations. Exactly, yeah. and yeah. like that that was such a, a great jumping off point for us to then steal some of those things and put them throughout the rest of the, the movie as we were discovering the, the, the feel of, right. the, of the sound. And so that was a really big, that was like one of the few times where you guys yep. sound designed to something that wasn't mm -hmm. locked, but That's it right. totally was- um, so useful because it helps unlock right. the rest of the how the rest of the movie is going to sound. And a lot of that stuff mm -hmm. stuck. Like, yeah, no, I, it was incredible. We definitely, we definitely ended up using yeah, the, it. The, the pinballs on the ceiling are yeah, still my so favorite. Good. Yeah, yeah, so stupid. Like, well, probably yeah. the first sound I cut for yeah, the whole At most, pinballs on the ceiling. If you see it in Atmos, you can really feel it. Um, but, you know, yes, helping coming on early with that. But, uh, you know, back to what Andrew was saying, too. It's, you know, in these bigger movies, you have temp after temp after temp sure. of, of doing this. And, I don't think we could have done multiple temps because of how big it was. And, um, and how, I mean, it was a pretty fast one. I mean, we had seven weeks of editorial to get through everything. And then we, we found out when through seven weeks, showed it to the guys and they're like, this is great. We need to work on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, and this is where us being scrappy and, and indie with this, we ended up trading two days on the bigger stage to afford to have more time with just these guys. So we got a month in just my studio going through the movie. And right. the great thing is, is <clears throat> they're a team, we're a team. So it's like, you know, Shiner and I would sit in another room working on something, then Twight and Quan would be in the room working, and then we'd hire a night crew to come in and sit more to like get things to go. And um, there's no way this would have ever been finished otherwise, yeah. you know? Yeah. So Yeah, certainly not to knock the process. Like, it definitely worked, and we were all in it from the moment we started. It's just like we kind of lived and breathed it. Thanks, guys, for that awesome discussion. But stick around, because now we're going into part two of the conversation, which is my chat with uh, the film's composer, Ryan Lott, of the band Sunlux, who joined me again, as I said, from his home studio in Indianapolis to talk about the music for the film. I mean, I wanted to ask you, Sunlux, obviously what you created, you guys are a well-known, incredibly highly regarded band. Um, what's the, how did you get interested in film scores and how did you get involved with this particular movie? I, I've done, personally, I've done a lot of scoring. Um, 
but this is our first project scoring as a band, which is uh, what made it sort of doubly exciting um, and also triply terrifying. Uh, um, I, I cut my teeth doing a lot of music for um, advertising. I was a post house composer for years. And um, on the other side of the coin, I was also doing a lot of music for dance. My wife is a choreographer and dancer, and we've been together for over 20 years now. And I've been writing her music and lots of her friends uh, music for a long time. And it's and and really it's a it's like scoring. Uh, it's like film scoring. Um, mechanically, it is at least. And so um, between those two things, doing like tons of ads and, and also um, scoring dance, I feel like I, I sort of um, I sort of developed a, a facility with the with the process. Um, and then uh, I started to do some features. And um, and then when the Daniels knocked on our door, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess I felt in a in a certain way uh, prepared. I felt like I had. Um, you know, I kind of got into a place where I was like, yeah, I can do this. Um, and I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. The truth is, the truth is, it's a good thing that I had um, that sort of uh, confidence uh, coming out of the gate. Um, it was totally unfounded, uh, um, given what would transpire <laughs> over the following two and a half years. Um, and the amount of work and the amount of um, just um everything everywhere all at once it would take um uh but I, i'm glad that i didn't know because i probably would have uh turned it down you would talk yourself out of it if you had known yeah, I mean, we would have <laughs> the been insanity like, we that been, was coming yeah we've been like no way this is going to be possible you know because yeah. the original idea is that you know daniels loved our music um as a trio they also loved our solo projects ian rafiq and i all all have our own solo uh, projects and you know, I think one of the reasons why they came to us is because they were like, okay, here's like kind of a universe of sounds, um, these, these guys that make music together, but then we also can like call upon their, their own, you know, their individual um, aesthetics and sort of sound worlds. And because uh, they knew they didn't want just like, you know, Hollywood composer person, you know. Right. Um, and they had had success working with bands. And of course, they come from music video uh, directing. And um, so, but they were like, okay, but here's, here's a, here's a band that, um, at least some of them have scoring opportunity, you know, scoring skills and experience. Um, and we love their music and part of their music is, you know, one of the things they're doing is, is reconciling seemingly disparate elements, um, bringing together things that you wouldn't think should belong together. And of course, uh, the movie is that way to the extreme. Um, but I think, um, they heard that in our music and they said, okay, and for years they told us that they had been sort of angling to, to, to speak to us about the movie as they, as they were developing the script. Um, but, um, fortunately they had more faith in us than we even had in ourselves because, uh, originally the plan was, okay, we're going to do our Sunlux thing. You're going to license a bunch of music from us. We're going to, you know, modify it, um, customize it for you. And then we're going to do some bespoke score. And then, uh, we're going to hire, you know, some outside help to do like the stuff that's just not in our wheelhouse. Um, and you could tell that they were like, ah, you know, they what they were like trying to maybe hedge their bets a little bit. You know what it was is I honestly think that they wanted to challenge us and they knew that we had a potential to do 
to be more versions of ourselves than we had yet discovered. And this was obviously what a perfect, what a perfect yeah. metaphor for the multiverse and this exactly. entire project. Exactly. So you said that this was the first time that you guys had scored as a band and with Ian and Rafiq. So how did you guys approach that? Like, did you divvy stuff up or like, were there particular sequences that you said, Oh, this is mine. I got this. How did, yeah, how did that that's work? Ex- that's exactly right. Um, we all touched every, we, well, I touched everything. Um, and so at some point and, and we all creatively direct, right? So we share, like, we always have to agree on everything that goes out the door, you know? So whether it's someone actually did stuff or not, their, their, their influence and their, and their, um, direction is important. So we definitely scored it as a, as a band. Um, because I have the most experience, um, and kind of the most tools for scoring, uh, you know, I, I took lead on the project and, uh, I'm pretty sure I touched every cue, but some very lightly. Um, the main thing that made this all work is that yes, Rafiq and Ian and I took lead on our own cues. Um, for example, Ian is responsible for the, you know, taking lead on some of the like that big stretch of uh, fight sequences. And he developed a sort of backbone for everything and kind of did a lot of the um, designing of the sound that uh, the sounds and this and the instruments that um, that that comprise the music. Um, And 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 then I kind of came behind and did the orchestrations. Um, And then uh, Rafiq came by and did some guitar and some bass and um, other production stuff. So. Um, but yeah, there was no way this, there's no way this was, honestly, this was not a job for three people, um, let alone one. Yeah. Which is because of the amount of music in it or. Yeah. So it's a two hour and 19 minute me- movie and there's an hour and 50, five zero minutes of original score. Right. And that's like a crazy amount. And it's not just that because it's it's that there's score coming from so many different directions and that has to you know comp- feel so many different ways. Um, it's not just like one kind of score where you could kind of create a you know a, like a lot of folks do in Hollywood where you know the, the movie kind of feels one way so they can just generate a ton of music that sort of feels one way, right? right. No way, <laughs> no right. no way can we do that. Um, th- this this. This was um, this was a whole nother thing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So Dan Kwan said something to, uh, to when we were talking to him that that really struck me. He was like, I, "I think this is probably one of the reasons why you ended up generating so much so much material." He was like, he he was describing, and I, he was basically describing how you were using music to basically be through connective tissue. So oftentimes you would score other pieces of like while other pieces of music are going on or other components of your own score and then kind of weave through. So can you talk about that? that must've been just kind of mind blowing to do. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, this is something we haven't touched on in other interviews very much, but um, we really had to create a lot of the scores simultaneously, score cues uh, simultaneously. Um, We had to get far enough along in certain key cues that we could say with confidence, okay, this, yes, this theme is going to work. This is kind of, this vibe is going to work, 
definitely have a lot of details to work out, but now we need to jump over to these other places and start to integrate this theme and start to integrate these instruments and these sounds to bring cohesion and draw and draw and create cross references. Um, so there was no way this movie was going to be done linearly, you know, front to back. And, you know, score is never, is, is never really done that way, but, right. um, and there were but, some elements you had to like pre even before the shoot, right? Yes. Yeah. So there was some pre-score as well. Um, the first task, uh, for the score was one of the ones that we, uh, you know, when we read the script and kind of we originally talked about it, I, I was like, oh, yeah, so we'll just farm that out. We'll have somebody else do that because that's not what we do. You know, uh, right. we're, you know, very self-serious. And that was one of the things that I think the little shell uh, that Daniels helped crack um, uh, in us. Um, and that and this the, the, the piece of music in question is the Hot Dog Hands musical. Um, right. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a song that exists um, in, in different universes in the film, but uh, one of the main scenes, it, it has to, it's a basically a love, it's a, it's a love song. It's like a ceremonial love song uh, that is sung in a universe where the two mating partners have hot, hot dog hands. hands years yeah 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 um and you know and the lyrics are kind of about that slap you know slap our hands on our thighs and you know it's just like the most the, the most and it had to be like you know from a just from a sonic perspective totally unlike anything else we were going to do so it was a very weird starting place for the score um but also kind of i mean uh kind of perfect i mean you know i realize in retrospect how perfect it was that that initial challenge was so um, left field for us. Yeah. What was your first re so uh, you, you get the call from the Daniels and what did they send you the script? Did, did you read it? Like what was your first, what was your first impression of this madness? Yeah. Right. I mean, because right? like, you know, scripts, scripts already are kind of like, you have to kind of get used to reading a script, you know, like, um, it's not like reading a book, you know, so there's a little, and for folks like me who haven't done a ton of, uh, reading scripts, like it's a bit cumbersome. Um, <laughs> and then there's this movie, which is like on paper, um, was even, was like, just to be honest, I, <clears throat> I read this thing. I tried to read it and it was like, <laughs> you, couldn't like get, you couldn't get through it. Could you? Well, the thing is our first encounter with them over FaceTime was so awesome. Like they're just, they're so humble. They're so like, they have like a, they're so generous and they're so um, kind of like enthusiastic about what they're doing. But um, so it was like, Oh, this is going to be so cool. You know, um, that movie Swiss army man was bananas, but you know, like maybe they got that out of their system and this is going to be something that's a little bit more, yeah. So at the beginning, you were like, we're not going to score this just with like voices well, the way you did with Swiss Army. Yeah, right. I mean, before we even got there, it was more just like, yeah, this is such a cool honor. You know, like they're asking us to do this. Like, we'll send you the script and we'll see what you think. And then they sent a script and it was like, uh, I mean, we all had different reactions. Rafiq laughed his ass off the whole time. Couldn't put it down. Read it a couple of times, maybe three times. Um, I'm not even sure I made it all the way through through the scripts eventually i did piecemeal but um i kept thinking i was missing pages 
Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it was like, You're like this, this makes, makes no sense. This makes no right? sense. Wait, hold on a second. Wait, like I would just keep flipping back and like, no, the numbers line up. Um, so it was really hard for me to wrap my mind around around it. But fortunately, I didn't try. I didn't try too hard because I was like, well, nobody's gonna make this movie. <laughs> You're I like, mean, yeah, this is a, it's nobody, a safe thing to say yes to because this is never going to happen. Nobody's going to make this movie. Nobody's going to make this movie. And I, I'm pretty convinced that like, one of the reasons why this movie had a quarter of the budget you think it did um, is because it was, it was a big risk. I mean, I'm sure a lot of folks said the same thing as I said, which is like, yo, this movie can't be made, you know? Um, and then, you know, and then I think really what happened was, and this impacted us because this was the moment we, in which we, um, we were given permission to sort of reach out and, um, dream, dream big about some collaborators we could bring in. I think they, I think A24 saw a rough cut and was like, oh, wow, this, this is, this is going to, not only is this going to work. This is going to be amazing. Well, you brought up the collaborators and I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, I just saw this list of names like David Byrne, Mitski, Moses Sumney. You even got Randy Newman in there. Like, you know, how did you tell me about the process of collaboration? What did they bring to it? How did you loop these folks in? Did anybody say no to you? Nobody said no. And here's the thing that's so crazy about this. Um, just to set the record straight, you know, we have this, we now have this soundtrack out with all these, like, you know, these icons and these fantastic musicians, both the ones you've heard of. And then also a slew of folks that maybe you haven't heard of yet. Um, the ones that we brought on halfway through that were, um, you know, Randy Newman, for example, Randy's experience was the same as everyone else's, which is he saw it and said immediately, I'm doing this, whatever you want. I'm doing it. <laughs> so did he start did he start off just as the like voicing Rakakuni and yes. then got okay, so and then came into the music as well? Yeah. So like it was this is one of like Daniel's crazy dreams, right? Which is like, okay, this is a this is an homage to like obviously he's an homage to Ratatouille, right? You got right. this animatronic character called Rakakuni. Um, he's, he's instead of a rat, he's a, a jovial rat. He's a curmudgeon-y uh, <laughs> raccoon. And who better, who better voice a curmudgeon-y raccoon than Randy Newman himself? <clears throat> and so, you know, in their unbridled imagination, they said, yeah, we should, we should try to do this. And, but I think everybody kind of had tempered um, their, expectations um and you know because it's randy newman you know uh but on the strength of the movie he saw it he said uh my wife has never laughed this hard the whole pandemic um <laughs> uh, i'm in i'll do it and so then i had the idea I said, well well damn if if randy newman is gonna get in the booth if he's gonna get on a mic and he's gonna like sing a couple fragments of this song that you know is that happened in in the movie and he's going to do these lines of dialogue. I mean, shouldn't I just write a whole song and just have him sing it? 
It's really not that crazy. <laughs> We're not that crazy. A couple of mammals making gravy. Right? Together, you and me, a multi-species team. We're a family. Culinary. And then on the soundtrack, you know, it'll be like so meta. It'll be like the song that they're singing on screen. It'll be, they're singing it from the soundtrack, which, you know what I mean? Um, so that's what we did. I wrote a song in the style of Randy Newman for Randy Newman, which he sang. And I sing in duet with him, <laughs> which is like, you know, this movie kept on being like surprise after surprise after surprise. And like, it kept being like a different version of a dream that you're like pinching yourself. And each time you're just pinching yourself harder and harder. And this was one of those where I was like, toward the end, you know, we're finalizing the soundtrack. And believe it or not, today I'm I'm still working on the vinyl mixes and layout and stuff. It's crazy. We've been working on this since fall of 2019 and it's April, you know, 22. Um, but, you know, I was, I was, I was like, well, guys, you know, here it is with Randy, Randy's voice. He sounds awesome. Right. And they're like, yeah, but, you know, really needs to be a duet. And I was like, yeah, but, you know can't really get the you know original actor and i'm not sure it's going to work like that we don't have time and they're like no no you you need to sing it <laughs> I, was like, I was like i'm like i'm not gonna sing and duet with randy newman and they pretty much were like yeah yeah you are <laughs> that's what's that's what's going to happen and like you know that's just how it was with this whole movie it was just like permission giving you know like enabling permission giving and just like unlocking a you know, it's just like something about working on this movie, something about this movie and with Daniels in particular and just who they are as people and the way they directed. It's just, you, you wanted, because the movie feels so special, you wanted to do more than you, you possibly can imagine yourself doing. For sure. Yeah. And on the strength of Daniel's direction and there's, they're just like their spirit yeah, and their lead, the way in which they had they like led creatively by creating this in the first place from their brains. It made you think just enough that you could do it, you know? For so. sure. Well, yeah. And kind of to your earlier point, it's sort of like, you also know that like, I'm never going to ask, I'm never going to get asked to do anything like this ever again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the bittersweet thing about this. Um, I try not to think about it too much, but it's like, <laughs> when when am I ever going to see a project again that calls on so many different versions of myself? You know, and I've always thought of myself as chameleonic and sort of omnivorous from a you know music making perspective. Um, and but it's always like, okay, find which version of myself I'm going to be for this project. And then this one was like we want like all these different versions of you, you know? Um, and so satisfying also completely exhausting. I mean, so exhausting. So many nights. So I, I know from our conversation with Daniel's like, you know, the whole kind of schedule and game plan got thrown out the window because of COVID. So they were very fortunate in that they did, well, they almost finished shooting. They said that they, they, they got shut down on their last day, right? They didn't That's get right. to finish their last day. Um, and so, and then they ended up basically spending a year and a half, almost two years in post, right? So what, 
I mean, what opportunities did that open up for you kind of having like the gas, you know, your, the foot taken off the gas of having to f- rush this through and finish it? Well, it meant that um, the impossible was slightly less impossible. <laughs> um, the sheer number of cues involved in this film, um, even if you were just going to do it like, you know, the easy way and just kind of like phone it in and just do a bunch of scory stuff and a bunch of like kind of idiomatic genre specific kind of writing. Um, it would be an intimidating and it would be such an intimidating amount of music. And, you know, we're not like Hollywood guys with like assistants and like, you know, we didn't even have a music, we didn't even have a music editor on this job until uh, almost all the way through it. I mean, we were doing our own conforms and all our editing and everything. Um, And I mean, like, yeah. So even if we were just going to like, kind of scorch more it, you know, it was just going to be an insane amount of work for the three of us. Um, but you know, the original plan was they were going to license a bunch of our music. Right. And, and then we were going to kind of do bespoke ver- versions, but yeah, they, happened- they, said, they said that you guys had opened up your library and given yes. them access to all your previous material. And so, yes. and then we even j- j- gave them access to a bunch of material that like hadn't formed yet. It was just raw materials and stuff like that. And it was instructive, it was illustrative, and it was like, you know, helpful for the edit. Um, But in the end, this movie demanded like that every single moment be bespoke, truly. Um, And, you know, real life is real life. And so sometimes you can't, you just can't bring to fruition what a project deserves. And that's one of the things that we sort of have to reconcile as creatives is just like, you know, the deadline versus like what you would dream. Um, and when that deadline shifted, our dreams entered the realm of possibility. And the care and attention we were able to give to every moment expanded. And practically speaking, what that meant is we designed a lot of our own instruments that we use to create the score. Um, And this is something we do in our own music, like as a band and also in our solo works is we're we're constantly designing um, instruments from scratch, from, you know, recorded uh, material sessions, sampling sessions and all kinds of um, tracking of like uh, little musical puzzles and uh, bursts of improvisation of ourselves and also our friends and things. So we're constantly like making our own instruments. And on this score, we were able to really go hard into that. And and every single cue really employs something truly bespoke. Um, making your own instruments, like, are you talking about like physically crafting, you know, like physical things to make sound? In, in some cases, yes. Um, designing, um, you know, uh, maybe if not designing ourselves, capturing um, the sounds of, of bespoke, um, custom built instruments, um, which is, uh, you know, which is one of the things that we did when we worked with Andre, um, Andre Benjamin, also, you know, known as Andre 3000 from Outcast. Um, he's dedicated the last, um, 
several years of his life to learning these um these incredible flutes that are essentially like based on mayan flutes um mm. but instead of ceramic they're made of wood and see these custom flute these custom flutes and things and so we we worked with him to do a sampling session and then built instruments out of his sounds and also to fragments of his performance and weave them into the score which is at the time well underway um but we also worked with um a ton of other folks um uh vocalists uh, Nina Moffat and Hannah Ben um one of our longtime uh compatriots Heinel Pivnik she's a, a experimental new music violinist and uh she does all sorts of crazy things like um using different implements for her she has like a beater violin and so mm -hmm. uh, we we did stuff like um where we like wrapped her her instrument in tin foil and um let the like the you know stuff buzz against the it played play the instrument with combs um she uh t you know using a tuning fork against the strings you know just to have like really uh really crazy uh just get really crazy sounds out of um but one of our things is we we really love sounds that originate for, that are that are that happen in space where where uh airwaves are moving <clears throat> and uh, so we we focus on instruments that have at their core some sort of acoustic source um you know also my, like uh my piano like i i prepared my piano um so it sounds like really crazy um you know do all kinds of stuff oh, what, what what is that what did you do to that thing what, what what did i just hear um it's got like a lot of like poster putty um like some things like um also some paper clips and and like you know um but like just regular old poster putty we'll, and you just we'll, put those on the strings and just yeah you make little balls and you they stick them on there and it doesn't leave any residue but it, you can you know find specific nodes on the string and and change the physics of the of the pit you know how it, yeah make yeah make cool weird sounds but anyway so we're obsessed with that stuff so so that was that was one of the ways in which we made this score really unique. And you know, yeah. again, this 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 score had to feel like. Here's the thing: like this score had to emotionally feel, like it's your like it's your story, you know. And so there had to be like a lot of familiar sounds that don't strike you, don't grab your attention, and they don't strike you as as strange and unfamiliar. But then, of course, if you've seen the movie, you know. Uh, those those sounds won't cut it in yeah. uni in 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 many of the universes, um, and you know just like Daniel's invented these universes from scratch, which har which hearken to to things that you know, like you know hot dogs, uh, for example. <laughs> um, you know we were doing the same thing, sort of turning uh, turning on its ear, on its hand, or whatever. Um, right. It's okay. I'll stop with the with the hot dog metaphors. Um, you know turning on its head certain things that you know you you know from your universe but are they feel really different in this universe we had to do the same thing with our score well, one of the things that we talked with um daniels about was uh, i love talking about tone and emotionality and how directors and storytellers achieve tone and we talked a lot about like the first 10 minutes of the movie and so uh, you know i've seen it twice i was at opening night at south by southwest and oh yeah cool yeah I was there with it was, that was such a, that was such a treat, but like that, the first 10 minutes is so deceptively simple. You know, you're with Evelyn in the apartment, she's doing the taxes, the, but at the same time, it was so tense and I was so anxious 
I told them like I wanted to chew my fingernails down because I was just having so much anxiety in the first 10 minutes of the film. And the, the sound design and the music are huge drivers of that emotional experience. So can you talk about approaching that first like several minutes of the film and what you were doing from a score perspective to make me want to chew my fingernails down? Yeah. So this the first 10 or so minutes of this movie were one of the trickiest uh, tasks um, to the, the tri one of the trickiest puzzles um, without giving anything away the first 10 minutes of the movie are not exactly like the rest of the movie and <laughs> <clears throat> but you know we still wanted the music to be really rad and um you know a, apart from the the sort of scoring assignment of like doing what is appropriate for the score uh for the film and for the story um you know we were doing all this bespoke stuff later and like you know inventing these sound worlds to accompany these invented universes well here we are in our in this in our common shared familiar universe but we still want the score to be really unique like it would be such a weird thing if it was like you know because we could have just like again just kind of phoned in that um section because it, because it's the most sort of like grounded in the ordinary and that's one of the reasons why the movie works it's because it's so convincing um, that we are we are stuck with this in we're we feel claustrophobic with this woman and her family and and this tension or it's just feels uncomfortable but it's such a weird thing in a movie like you want to you want to feel uncomfortable but also not feeling but it's in got to be entertaining and you you have to be endeared to these characters you know so there are a lot of like tricky things about this sequence that were all tangled up together um and unlike the rest of the movie we really had to decouple we had to we couldn't really fuse anything that's happening there with what's happening later it's also an emotionally th a weird thing for us because we want to love what we're doing but then just get rid of it then move on Whereas everywhere else in the movie, we could love what we're doing and find ways to like interconnect and all feels like swirling together. And this was a weird, this is a, this is a weird task, but in the end we, we came up with ways to uh, create this sense of, of momentum and tension and kind of like a, something that feels like incessant um, and um, where the sounds that we're using feel like the, you know, either the hum of the, the bubbling of the of the rice maker or the the hum of the there's the um, fan going on or, the or, yeah. or like the the clunk of the um broken ac um or you know the um the sort of like um bothersome customers or the the tension of like yeah there's just so many things that like in the that you see visually that like or what are what are sounds and instruments and things that feel like yeah, like this mountains of paper and this like all the chaos and um, and disorganization of this of this environment and also kind of closed in feeling of this environment. 
and you know compartmentalized um and so yeah that's that's kind of what we we drew our inspiration um for that opening sequence yeah well i want to <clears throat> i want to dig into something that you were just talking about which is um sort of naturalistic sound elements like the fan, the AC, the, you know, all these different, you know, elements, because one of the things that I loved about this is I get excited when I'm experiencing a movie and I'm not sure if what I'm hearing is sound design or score. And there's a lot of cross pollinization between those two elements. So can you talk a little bit about that and sort of how you sort of how you felt like your work existed in the same universe with Brent and Andrew and their sound design and how these pieces kind of work together. Yeah. And, and also, you know, the Daniels themselves also did, um, I mean, they touched everything. And in fact, there are, there's even uh, a couple, uh, a couple music cues in this, uh, in this movie that they did themselves. So um, those guys, um, I, I think one of the, I think probably the reason why it could all work is like, I think everybody was super, super committed to doing as best they could possibly do. And that coupled with Daniel's just being amazing directors um, and having just a very thorough understanding of what was going to work and also a very open mind to what, could work that they hadn't thought of yet. And I think with respect to music, as as incredibly specific their vision was for this movie, um, I was continually surprised how open-handed they were with music and how open-minded they were to ways in which music could function in different um, capacities throughout the film. And that was very empowering for us because we really just have, I mean, now we've, we have so much ownership on this movie. And I think um, a, under different directors, we would feel like we were constantly just working at the behest of other minds. Um, and I have no doubt in, uh, talking to Brent and Andrew about it, you know, that they feel the same way, you know, like Daniels uh, on the one hand knew exactly what they wanted and ha- and were so committed that even they were doing it themselves uh on the other hand they were they you know they felt like they could give truly give of themselves to this movie and um and everybody wins in that situation um yeah that came up like in in the conversation with brent and he said something that I, i thought was really interesting he was like you know obviously the daniels come from like a really low budge background where they did have to do everything themselves. And so they have that, they have that ability, right. That they can do yeah. all this. They can do a lot of this stuff. And he said, it's interesting because he, he was like, you know, sometimes you'll be working on something with them and it won't be working quite right. So they'll just take it and like do a version of it and give it back to you. And it's it, in some, I can see some people being kind of threatened by that. Like that's, you know, that's sort of like getting it, but he said, no, no, it's actually like, it saves so much time. It's so much more efficient because yeah, it's right. you know the he was like the most frustrating thing is dealing with directors who are like nah, i don't like it i can't tell you what to do but i don't like yeah. that yeah, yeah right yeah, yeah. So did you and have I, that same experience yeah exactly exactly that's a very good observation that brent had and um it's nothing it's something we haven't really gotten to talk about yet um in other interviews um i'm glad he pointed that out um and i think the reason why that works is because truly the daniels are so generous in the way that they are 
you know, giving, constantly giving, you know, gave us permission to be ourselves. So um, I think if that wasn't true, then I think them getting in there and doing some things themselves would, would feel like, it would feel like it was because we, like you had messed it up or you were incapable. Right. Right. Yeah. But there was never that air of it, you know, it was never that air of it, um, of, of, of sort of like, we'll just do it. You know? (laughs) Um, also, I mean, real talk, this, this, this was an enormous, enormous amount of work. Um, and you know, there were a couple of cues when, where, you know, that were technically on our list and we were like, I think this is these, you have a clear vision for it and you guys have great musical ideas and um, they don't, these don't require a sort of any sort of technical execution. And uh, <laughs> so I think, um, I think y'all should take, take these and we can focus on the other ones. And, um, and that was just, you know, and then we're all, it's just a big party. Everybody's helping and, and, and doing their best. And that's, yeah, that's the best. So uh, Brent told me that you got to spend some time on the mixing stage uh, during the final mix when they were putting that together. Was that, is that, was, do you normally do that? Is that a, a kind of thing? Um, is that something that you typically get to be involved in? So, yeah, maybe just a little bit. Um, definitely not the whole time. I mean, all three of us were there on the mix stage, mix stage the whole time. And instead of like, you know, taking five or six days, I think this, um, I think this mix took like 11 or something. <laughs> It was like just there's that is still unbelievably fast for a movie. I know, no, no, yes, yes. But I think, yeah, for sure, for sure. But I think, um, you know, again, like thinking of a movie with a comparable budget, like a rom com or something. You know, it's right. Which you know, of course, those can be complex as well. It's but this is like not that. (laughs) This is like completely. Oh my gosh, it's like. So many, and like I learned so much in that. Um, I learned so much from Brent, from Andrew. Um, just wow, like watching them work. Um, I'd never been so intimately involved in a mix, and um, you know, for film, right? <laughs> sure, uh, done a lot of mixing for <clears throat> for the audio, just for audio, and uh. Wow. Um, I just, it was so amazing to watch them. People don't realize like sound design, you know, score are, by the time the score gets, you know, we'll have a hundred tracks, but like in a queue, but by the time it gets to the mix stage, you know, it's, it's like 13, you know, it's like you got 13 stems. Um, those guys, you know, they got all the tracks still, you know, in play because every single little sound design thing has to be flexible, you know? Um, And, you know, watching them navigate hundreds and hundreds of sound design tracks on two synced machines, three synced machines, like it was impressive. And I learned a lot about my own workflow um, and how to improve it. And it was, it was a really cool, plus they're just awesome awesome people and um which is no surprise i just i just imagine that that mixing stage was probably so much fun because the daniels are so loose and then brent is just a brent is a nut you you know know? the thing is so they they balanced it really well because i mean you can't accomplish this unless you're really serious you know what i mean like and so yes goofy as hell completely like generous and fun and like zany um but man, we were working, you know, um, especially those guys. And like, they, 
you know, it was also really cool to watch Daniels in that final stretch of the the film being made, you know, to watch them. And we, we caught this of course on set as well, because we were on set one day, the day before shutdown. So lucky. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. And we saw a bunch of, bunch of things being shot. It was incredible how, um, but they were like, you know, you don't pull this off unless you, you are really, you know, you're really working hard. You're staying organized. You're staying focused. Um, and I think that's one of the things I truly admire about those guys is that is their ability to be fully themselves in, in both ways, you know, very serious, very organized, very passionate about what they're doing, very focused, but also just like absolute nut jobs, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, you just put your finger on it. I, one of the things that uh, I, I said to Brent recently, cause we were, we were mixing together on another project. And I was like, I was like, I really love the way you run your room, you know, how he runs mm-hmm. the mix stage. It's sort of like, it's a, it's, it's obviously it's a high pressure environment cause there's never enough time and mm-hmm. there's always too much work, mm-hmm. but he just keeps it loose. I mean, yeah. very focused and moving forward, but it's always a lot of fun. So yeah. I, I can imagine you guys had a blast on the stage. We did. We did. And after. So, so Ryan, you're on the Dolby podcast. So of course I'm going to ask you about, was this your first experience working with Dolby Atmos and how was that for you? It was, it was my first experience. I, and I learned a lot from Brent. Um, and I think this was the like most ideal, you know, of course, experience Atmos, um, as a consumer and as a, like, as a moviegoer. Um, although it's been, you know, it's been, it had been a long time, right. Because of the pandemic. Um, so, um, man, I just, I learned so much about how it's all basically like just kind of like rewiring my brain about the, the, the experience of sound. Um, you know, I'm always in this sort of, you know, two channel or like two, one kind of world, um, here in in my studio, I'm just, you know, just binaural and, um, you know, I, and I feel like even that I've, I'm still learning so much about. And then to be in that environment, um, like a tuned room with like skilled engineers and to be able to also be able to have some, um, flexibility about where in the room I, I am. Um, I actually wound up learning a lot, not just about the the art of it, the technology of it. Mm. But I also like feel like I really learned about scoring. Like I could hear what was working where and why. And I didn't expect that. You know, I, I just I just kind of went in thinking, oh, this is gonna be cool. It makes an atmos, you know, and like never done that before um but then sitting there i'm like oh wow and like um yeah just learning about what about my what's supposed to be my job yeah (laughs) right for that format really you know um and um and how i can Can, do it yeah yeah. can you talk about i mean was there anything specifically like that comes to mind about how you guys used atmos specifically on the music yeah so, you know, there were times where we were very specific about um, the front wall and, and, and keeping most things really focused on the front wall. Um, and then, uh, <laughs> and then finding moments and, and specific elements to that could, that could basically embrace you um, sonically um, and, and how, I started to think during that mix how that is a musical choice 
that's an artistic choice. That's not just a technology choice. That's not just an engineering thing. Um, I've always said in the studio, like my studio is my primary instrument um, because I understand the direct connection between uh, my technology and my creative ideas, my musical ideas, which are can't often be written down um, in a you know traditional score, but doesn't mean they're not musical ideas. They are very much musical ideas. It's just the technology has surpassed, um, has 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 shown that you know, European classical musical notation is, is extremely limiting. Um, if I only thought about music in terms of what I could notate, I'd be profoundly limiting my brain um, and my heart. And I think I'm starting to think about that um, now uh, with, with the potential for, Dol for Dolby Atmos and, and the potential in scoring for considering on the creative level in, in post-production, in the scoring process, writing into Atmos as opposed to letting it be an afterthought. And so that's what I'm really excited about, you know, moving forward in my next opportunity um, to score. I truly think it's, it's a way in which I can challenge myself to think along you know along along a different you know plane than i have in the past um and i'm so i'm really excited about that awesome well ryan uh, i will i will wrap this up by asking you the same question i ask everybody else which is like what's a favorite moment for you in the film from a, a musical sound perspective like when you're watching the film just something that when it comes up just makes you kind of feel all warm and the inside it just makes you happy when that sequence comes up Oh man, there's so many in this movie. Um, <laughs> it's, um, I, I won't even try to say my favorite because I feel like it's like, oh, what's your favorite album? What's your favorite artist? It's like, well, it's you know, it's like, what day of the week is it? What time of the day sure. is it? You know, like, and this movie is just so jam packed with so many things to which I feel very emotionally connected. Um, and had very powerful experiences personally with um, while making making them. Um, the first moment I cried, and I cried a lot scoring this, um, and we all did. Um, the first moment I cried was um, Key's performance um, in what is it's called Wayman's Speech Part One. That's that's or at least that's what the cue is called. Um, um, I believe it's this is how I fight is the name of the cue in the, in the soundtrack. Mm. Um, and key says, he says, we all have to, we all have to be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. And just the way he delivered it and just like the broad, <laughs> application of that sentiment um yeah it just really got me and it was just like from that i feel like from that moment this movie for you know the two years that probably followed that moment <laughs> now um i've just been kind of an emotional wreck um 
because this movie just it does so many beautiful things yeah and it contains so many incredible performances and and now you know knowing the people behind them behind it um both in post but also some of the actors um and this is what's this is what life is about just you know it's like using the strength of our hands to make beautiful things with each other you know and yeah so yeah i just feel so lucky to be involved well i think that's a great way to end it ryan i've had so much fun talking to you today this is a blast yeah me too me too it's a, it's a really really great movie i love the music and i think you guys are part of a of a, a really important like cultural phenomenon the daniel seemed they, they expressed that they were a little surprised at how emotionally people are responding to the film but um it's uh it's it's uh it's an amazing piece of work yeah well um i think that's kudos to them i think that they have made something so genuine and um i mean i we can take a small amount of credit too too and i and i'm proud of that you know because uh I, I think just what i explained earlier you know it's like this movie really impacted us emotionally so um on on its strength and the strength of what they made with the actors and everyone involved and so our task then was to pass on to was to honor that that deep emotional um tenor and and basically not f it up you know for sure um, i'd say that you didn't it. f it up yeah <laughs> okay good well done. Well yeah, done. I'm. I'm. I'm thinking at this point. Um, I think we're in the clear. <laughs> I'd say so. All right. Once again, thank you to Dan, Daniel, Andrew, Brent, and Ryan for joining me today. An extra special thanks to our friends at A24 for putting this conversation together for us. Be sure to check out our show notes, where you can find a link to purchase tickets to Everything Everywhere All at Once at a cinema near you. And I encourage you to check it out and Dolby Atmos at one of those cinemas. It's a fantastic experience. And thank you, our audience, for joining us to watch and listen to these conversations here on the Dolby Institute podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to us. You can find links to our dedicated podcast feed in our show notes, or you can just search for Dolby wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back soon with more of these deep dives into the creative process with directors, showrunners, and other incredible filmmaking teams. Until then, thank you for joining us. This is Sound and Image Lab brought to you by the Dolby Institute. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry with production support by Taylor Hines. And our production coordinator is Sonny Chen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>